Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are listening to Red Carpet Rendezvous with your host, Lauren Conlon. Hey everyone, and welcome to Red Carpet Rendezvous. I'm your host, Lauren Conlon. So this Friday, July 31st, a new movie comes out across all video on-demand platforms and some select theaters across the country, and it's called Tijuana Jackson, Purpose Over Prison, and it's written, directed, and starring the multi-talented Romany Malco. So Romany is literally so down to earth. I just love his vibe, and I love talking to him. Um, It was actually my second time interviewing him. We chatted back in November for an episode um, about his Netflix film that he was starring in called Holiday Rush. But back to Tijuana Jackson. Um, Romani created this character, Tijuana, actually back in 1999. And you can find a lot of these sketches and videos on YouTube. But this is just truly a character that is so near and dear to his heart. You can just tell by the way he talks about it and just how invested he is and how passionate he is about it. Um, So the movie follows Tijuana as he strives to become this renowned motivational speaker. And then he's asked to be the subject of this short student film. And he is just all for it. He just wants all of the attention. Um, And... Regina Hall actually plays his parole officer, and who doesn't love Regina Hall? She's basically perfect. So um, Romani and I caught up over Zoom about so many things, about Tijuana, um, A Million Little Things, the ABC show that he stars in right now, pandemic life and life in general, and obviously, you know, I had to ask about 40-Year-Old Virgin because I'm just basic like that. But like I said, he is just so lovely to speak with, so he's just happy to to cover all these different subjects. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy my conversation. Hey, um, I'm I'm so excited for you. This has been in the making for a while, Tijuana Jackson, Purpose Over yes. Prison. I mean, and next yes. week is like the big release. So it, it I is. You to tell me just about your vision behind this character and um, and how he came to fruition. This character came to fruition because um, I wanted to figure out a way to educate a demographic that uh, has never uh, been taught uh, objectively about economics, finance, business finance, uh, uh, personal development. Um, introspection, mental health. I wanted to figure out a way back in 1999 to educate that demographic. That demographic being the poor demographic. I, 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 I was blessed with the opportunity to live in the projects, but also to live in trailer parks. I lived in the Caribbean. <clears throat> um, I've lived in the countryside of the Caribbean and I've also growing up and I've also lived in the town and like even poorer areas of the Caribbean. I lived in lower middle class family uh, households in Texas. And what I realized was that that's really stood out was when I would go back and forth from Trinidad to the US is that in Trinidad and Tobago, no matter how poor you were, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter where you lived, you got a good education. And in the United States, it became really clear that you know, if you were poor, you got a poor education. If you were wealthy, you got a better education. And this is not even bringing up the conversation around segregation. So that being said, my goal was to take all the things that we were not afforded uh, uh, in in poor communities and and like use this character and all this humor to get these kids to, or or these young adults, you know, uh, to open their minds to. And it was successful within two episodes of back then, you know, I was doing something on Justin TV, which was how we live stream because all these platforms didn't have live stream features. And I was doing it through Justin TV. And within a couple episodes, um, within a couple of episodes, we had a, a full page write up in the New York Times. 
Wow. And so where you know, is Justice just TV or Justin? Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N TV. You and know. where can people watch that then? Um, on Justin TV. You'd literally on log in channel. and, oh. and you, you'd have your little chat room on the side, yeah. okay. you know, <laughs> but you know, it's closed down. And then these are these, there are some of the live streaming platforms that have managed to sustain, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and things and things have evolved such as Zoom. But yeah, you'd have your little chat room on the side and everybody would be commenting and um, you could see what was working. But, you know, and uh, TJ just talking about personal development, talking about uh, making money, talking about the difference between achieving things and achieving fulfillment, you know? It yeah, was, you and know, he was funny. You made it very funny. Well, that's the Trojan horse. The whole point of it is, is that we would use humor. I was using humor as the Trojan horse to get me, uh, the, to get the attention of people yeah. who wouldn't consider us otherwise. And also to get onto platforms that wouldn't consider us otherwise, right. at which point we could then address deeper issues. Because also then, you know, now you are a household name. Back then you weren't, at, right? No. I mean, you weren't no. as much, so you had, you had to kind of like wedge your way in there and, and get yeah. yourself seen. So that, that says a lot. Um, and, and, but there's another dynamic. Because of the dynamic that I wanted to reach, I'm, I was considered corny. So they wouldn't take it from me. Yeah. So you have to create this dude, this ex-convict, the yeah. most institutionalized person you know, yeah. telling you how to liberate yourself. That irony in itself made way for them to be like, I'll never forget the first day that this, that this character was ripped off of YouTube and uploaded. Someone ripped it and uploaded it to World Star Hip Hop. And wow. the caption said, yeah. this dude's been through a lot. They didn't even know it was me. <laughs> Okay, that's really funny. They didn't, well, you know what? It's the teeth. <laughs> you oh, yeah. know, it's hard for a second. How did you come up with the teeth, by the way? I, I did want to ask you that. Um, I, I started out because I had a pair of teeth. I was walking down Venice Boulevard one day back in like 98, 99 and found these teeth. And that was kind of the so birth bad. of the character. Those are so ratchet, those teeth. <laughs> <laughs> they are. And then I started getting them more refined because I wanted the character to be more believable. Yeah. At which, at which point I found a guy. I went to a place in Hollywood and asked them to make me a specific type of teeth. I designed them out. Yeah. They ended up, they kind of undermined my request and just gave me a pair of Austin Powers teeth and wanted to charge me $10,000 for them. And I was like, huh? And then I, found, I, I went online and started doing searching and found a guy in Nebraska who would make exactly what I wanted because he really made prosthetic teeth for people. Yeah. And he was like, he's like, it's like $42. What do you want? And man, I've spent thousands of dollars with yeah. this dude. That's so uh, LA. Oh my gosh. That's like so LA. Here's 10 so, grand. Nebraska, 40 bucks. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. look, and so here's the ones I use for the movie. Those, wait, um, wait, can you smile? Yeah, those are, those are ratchet. Wow, those are good. <laughs> for real, for real though. And then, yeah. you know, you, you, you pull out, you know, I was smoking all these fake herbal cigarettes the whole time. So it's like, it really, you change your eyes and you just kind of. How do you talk with them in? Like it's easy. They just, they is, hold really? on. They just. Or do you just have practice doing it? They just hold on. I don't have to do nothing. It's all there. It's, it's, it's like, no, really, it's. So what it, I also professionally noticed, made, by mm -hmm. the way, is you just, that also made it so easy for you to slip into character. You literally just slipped into character for 30 seconds without even trying, like without and even thinking. That's the whole point. It's like, um, I wanted, I've all, I've been doing this forever, but I, 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 I realized that all the little uh, props, yeah. All these little things really contribute to you feeling the space. And one of the things that I do, I, I don't think people talk about this, is I, I stand in for myself a lot. Hmm. And the reason, when I do my show, when I do movies, yeah. and the reason is because I want to feel the room. I want to get comfortable in the room. And yeah. when that happens, my performances are just better. And so that means every little detail. And so if you notice, you know, when I put the teeth in, my eyes change, right? Yeah. There's yeah, a different, yeah. this guy, here's a different look. Yes. You know, that he, he's a little concerned with how he's being judged and, yes. and, and the stillness of the one-on-one -on -one makes him uncomfortable. So he distracts, he finds distractions through a cigarette and right. he's got a little twitch with it. And oh. in his eyes, this is like making him cool all of a sudden. And he's constantly talking because mm -hmm. he feels more empowered. He's managing his stress. It's called stimming, really, for like autistic children will repeat things. It's called stimming. Well, okay. he's got his own version of that. Maybe even a little on the spectrum, you know. So totally. Oh, I could, I could see that. That's good. You know, that's yeah, that's really good. And I'm thinking about people that that can't 
can't see this right now, I will upload this video to YouTube so you can see it, everybody. <laughs> Everyone should know my YouTube handle, Red Carpet Rendezvous, but you got to see this. Um, you got to see the teeth. You got to see the whole the whole persona of Tijuana Jackson. <laughs> and and you will be able to see it next week because um, it comes out worldwide or nationally it, next week. It comes out nationally. It'll be on uh, iTunes, Apple TV, uh, Google Play. It'll yeah. also be on Amazon, video on demand, uh, pretty much any video VOD platform. It'll be right. on uh, 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 Voodoo. Okay. Uh, it, you know, yeah, and you I can. Pretty, it's in. It's actually in some drive-ins right now. Right now, it's starting okay. today. It's actually in some drive-ins across America. I can actually tell you where they are. It's 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 Florida. Um, uh, oh, I wonder why. But it's Florida. <laughs> it's um, Maitland, Florida. There's a there's a, even yeah. a place in California. Um, okay. There's uh uh there's Georgia. There's three locations in Georgia: the Atlanta wow. Film Festival in Georgia, the Plaza. Uh, theater in Georgia, the Plaza Drive-In. There's also uh, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. There's a couple places. The Char the Charles Theater in Baltimore, Maryland. The Senator okay. Theater in Baltimore, Maryland. There's Ohio. There's Portland. There's Washington. You know, so look I up like Tijuana Jackson. A theme also, like basically the rest of the the country's like we're in a pandemic in the world, and like Georgia and Florida are like we do what we want, basically. Yeah. So here, I do what I want. You yeah, can't tell I do me. What I want. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, no, that's great. Did you plan before COVID for a national um, theatrical release, or were you just kind of planning to? to put it out on demand, like so many film companies are doing right now. Yeah, you know, I, I still own my film. I still have ownership. I still hold right. on to the lion's share ownership of my film. And I've always been a bit forward thinking in that regard. So my goal was always to make a film that people would watch on their phones. Cool. That was my goal with this. I yeah. wanted people to look at this on their phones and be like, okay, uh, I get that. And what ended up happening was, uh, and what did end, ended up happening was, uh, in the process of making the film and the, you know, keeping it nice and small, yeah, we had COVID-19, which stripped away theaters. And yeah. then we had the protests. Mm -hmm. And all of this kind of led to, wow, everything that's going on right now, uh, as far as the protests go, is what this character has been talking about for 20 years. Yeah, that's, and that's crazy. That is crazy. And then, you know, on top of that, um, you have... Hey, Carlos, can you hold it down? Daddy's <laughs> doing an interview, okay? Do you mind just holding it down for, for a little bit? Um, uh, and then my, my little man just singing all his backyard again. That's um, so sweet. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Uh, and so COVID-19 kind of stripped away the theaters, which, you know, set the stage for a, th for, for a pocket movie, which is what yeah. I like to call it. That's and cool. then everything that's happening in the protest kind of set the stage because... This is, you know, this, this movie addresses, you know, uh, unjust incarceration of, of nonviolent criminals pretty, right. pretty, pretty head on. And I that, the pocket movie, by the way, that's really good. I haven't heard thank, that before. Yeah. Th thank you very much. Yeah. It's because I didn't think that people would be comfortable sitting in a theater laughing at the twisted humor that me and Regina Hall is spitting out here. It's twisted, man. That's and actually, that's so interesting you say that, how people are like, or, or somebody, like even like white people are like, oh, I want to laugh, but can I laugh? Is that rude? I don't know. Because I feel like that sometimes where I'm like, I actually, I don't think I should laugh because who am I to laugh? I don't know. So maybe you're right. Yeah. Comfort in my own home, I can laugh. I don't know. Exactly. No, two movies come to mind for me. There's a movie called Happiness and there's a movie called, uh, there's a movie called um, Precious. Oh, Both yeah. Love Precious. I laughed in both of those movies and people gave me horrible looks. I've even had people walk out because I couldn't stop laughing. In when, you yo, I, I couldn't hold it in. I couldn't hold it in. Yo, when- What? You need to explain yourself right now because I can't even think of a part that would be remotely funny and precious, like at all. That is the most tragic story ever. I'm laughing right now. This is horrible. I've watched Precious twice in theaters I, yeah, and I, I laugh. Like what? I mean, it's, that's- that's, yeah, that's a little effed up. Uh. I, I'm gonna say, look, look, growing up black, you see a lot of that drama. I, I saw a lot of that drama, you know, in, in the circle that I grew up in. Yeah. You know, but the scene where... God. I'm like scared. I'm like, uh, don't The hear scene that. where the slipper, the slipper, uh. right? She throws the slipper at her and it kind of hangs on, on, on the top stair with the top stair. And then yeah. she kicks it and the stair comes back down and hits Monique. Yeah. And then Monique puts her head down like this. Yeah. Yo, I don't know yeah. why. I, it, I laugh every time. So I run into Lee Daniels, the director of that film, and I pull yeah. him to the side. Me and him end up 
every time we get together, yeah. we, get kicked, we get kicked out because we talk so much. His sister has kicked me out of meetings because we just keep talking. So I ran into him at a furniture store in New York. We're sitting in the furniture store. They start bringing us champagne and yeah. he and I sitting there with our swatches talking. <laughs> and I say, yo, bro, don't take offense to this. But I was laughing at this scene. I explained the scene to him. And he goes, take offense? What you think Monique's head was down for? She was laughing the whole time. That's what the whole point is. Wait, that's actually such good information. <laughs> and I actually, it's funny, I haven't seen it in so long, but I know the exact scene that you're talking about because oh, I yes. could see it. I could see it, but of course, I'm not going to, I'm not laughing at that. Hell no. Um, no, exactly. And so, yeah, I, you know, that movie made me sensitive to how people might behave to viewing something in the privacy of their own home versus how they might behave to, uh, seeing it in the theater. And I definitely didn't think that this was a movie that people would be comfortable laughing at, you know, in a theater. And so yeah. COVID-19, as, 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 as difficult as COVID-19 is to endure because me and my family are fine, but we have people right up the street that are not doing so well. It's like, we can't yeah. do enough, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and so in this way, in, you know, in, in the bittersweetness of it, it's kind of really set the stage for a film like this. But even more so, it set the stage in the sense that with the protest and all everything going on, here you have a film led by an ex-convict, an ex-motive, you know, who's aspiring to these bigger dreams, but the system is set up to disenfranchise him. And he has a probation officer who actually cares about him, doesn't yeah. want him to go back to jail by violating his parole, which would mean him not getting a job. So she's got him filling out applications at the 99 cent store, but he's got grandiose dreams of becoming the world's biggest life coach. Right, right. Yeah, and, and she doesn't, I'm sure she doesn't see that right away. She's no, like, she oh, doesn't. just plant yourself here and, and get yourself settled. And he's like, no, no, no. I see much more for myself. Well, I'm, I'm glad that that's going to work out um, because, you know, I think we all deserve a silver lining with COVID. You know what I mean? I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, well, something good could technically come of it because I think we all deserve that. This has been really shitty for everybody and some more shitty. I don't know, but, but yeah. I think that's, I think that's really profound to say. I think you're right. We all do deserve a silver lining with COVID. I really do. Uh, and it's, you know, and it, of course this is hitting people, some people a lot harder, you know, right. it, it's really clear here in Florida. Um, and you know, um, but it's true. Like, uh, I think that there's just going to be a redefining of the way in which we pursue our careers and the way in which we earn our livings and, you know, uh, yeah. where we place, where we put our money. I think more now than ever, it's important to put your money in your community because I would much rather go right up the street to some people I know and grab some groceries than yeah. go to some, you know, to some big corporate chain and walk in there and there's people walking in there like they don't even care. I know. In Florida, I was going to say, those people probably aren't wearing masks. I guarantee they're not wearing masks. Even the old no. people are probably like, whatever, I do what I want. Like, right? Yeah. Like, that's a, a lot of people have been resistant, but I will say that where we live in the community that we live in, yeah. and we do live by the beach, people have been a bit more cooperative. I was actually standing in line again to a grocery store the other day and like four or five men I made a, 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 a Instagram story about it, but yeah. four or five men were getting on one guy who was not wearing a mask while standing in line to get in the grocery store. And I was like, oh, wow, this is being enforced around here. They sterilize yeah. every basket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but there are other parts of Florida where we've driven to and we're like, bad. Let, let me tell you when I knew there was going to be a problem. Yeah. We, we were in the Maldives before all of this jumped off. I remember we, uh, you told me that and I was like, oh yeah. gosh, this was, that was actually like the very beginning. You were kind of like, yeah, you were far removed from it. And then. Exactly. We were in a really safe place, yeah. but our children were in Puerto Rico and they were going to be flying into Florida and we were supposed to scoop our children up at, you know, at the end, at the end of yeah. the month. So we had a limited amount of time to get back from the Maldives. Mm -hmm fly through New York, God willing, and get to Florida. And yeah. when and by the they started shutting down borders and New York had been hit so hard that we couldn't fly through New York. That, that so we all right. So we had to fly through through the United Emirates all the way to California before the United Emirates closed their borders okay. and then rent a car and drive to Florida. No. No. Oh, yeah. And by the way, this is a drive I've been making since high school. It was nothing for oh, me. I drove oh, it. Really? Because that I, sounds awful, but. <laughs> I drove it in two 19-hour shifts, and the best part of the whole thing oh. was is that we were already on Maldives time. Oh, so, ah, which is like a day ahead or something. So yeah, yeah. yeah like, exactly. So nighttime for y'all was daytime for us. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's lucky. 
Do you yeah. drive the whole way and does your wife switch off? Because I'm a bad driver. I would have to have my husband drive the whole way. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't let my lady drive that drive at all. So I drove two, two 19 hour shifts and we were there in time to pick up our kids. But driving across the country, I ain't gonna lie. When we drove through Texas, with the exception of San Antonio. Yeah. It was business as usual. We would drive by Walmart and the parking lot would be packed. That's like, so bad. Yeah. How? How? I know. I know. And that's, again, it's like these Southern states, they just do what they want. Like, and this, wait, this is random by the way, but when you're in the grocery store line, like in Florida where you are, do you get stopped a lot? You must get stopped yeah. a lot. Yeah. I do, but I use COVID-19 as a means for you're distancing. You're like, oh, oh, like, yeah. Yeah. And also because I get to wear a mask, right? Yeah. So like what I'll do is I'll wear the mask. This is, this is, this is what I'll do to people sometimes, right? Yeah. I'll like that. I have my mask on. Yeah. Right? They don't know who they're looking at. I mean, they right. think they do. They're like, you look so much like the guy. Somebody yeah, just yeah. asked me a minute ago on Walgreens, right? <laughs> and then I'll just really throw them off and I'll be like, you know, I'll be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they'll be like, oh, no, no, never mind. Never mind. That's not, that's so funny. <laughs> no, no, no. Come in. Oh, then they avoid you. They avoid you. Oh, come in. Let me talk to you, fam. And they're like, no, 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 no. Wait, that's so messed up of you, but like also so funny. I, w I mean, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, you must get stopped nonstop in, yeah, especially yeah. in Florida where you are. And it must be yeah. a little distracting, but. You know, though I'm not like a, uh, though I'm not like a major, like I'm not like what you would consider an A-list actor. I mean, um, my, my self short, dude. Like you, everybody knows you. You're a fantastic actor and you're, you're you know, you're, you work all the time. Thank You're you. And I everything. So. No, I, I feel blessed. I've got to work with Amy Poehler, Tina Fey. I've got to work with Morgan Freeman, Michael Douglas, Kevin Klein, Robert You're, De Niro, Steve Martin. And every show. Like that's, I mean, right? Well, like, I'm in the good ones. And, yeah. but, but, you know, but the reason, part of the reason is because of this, is that uh, uh, I'm, in fact, many years ago, I got a call from Oprah Winfrey. She was going to do a segment on Black men in Hollywood. And oh. they were like, and she was like, you're like of this era, you're like one of the few black people we could find, black men we could find who actually started on the mainstream side of things and then opted to do urban. And it's true. Like I really started out doing, my first independent film uh, was me and Vince Vaughn playing Vince Vaughn's nemesis. My sec, um, no, my first, my first was actually me and Paul Rudd playing brothers and then me and Vince Vaughn playing Vince Vaughn's nemesis. And then it's, you know, yeah. and, and then finally we'll, I was never, first of all, pretty much 90% of the roles I booked were written for non-black, you know, ca characters mm -hmm. that I just decided to audition for anyway. Yeah. And then finally, Will Packer, James Lopez, the president of Will Packer Productions said, you should hire Romney Malcolm to think like a man. And that was my foot in to urban film because up until then I couldn't get hired by, uh, you know, a black producer. I literally was told I wasn't black enough. And so- with, with, with is crazy. Is that offensive That's, to you? Are you like, or do you just, how do you even take that? I don't understand that. Like you were like, I am a black man, but I'm not black enough. I don't, yeah. how does it, that even know, work? Well, I tell you what, when you live in places like New York City and Trinidad and Tobago, mm -hmm. and then you move to a place like Texas and you end up being bullied because of the fact that you're not considered black enough and you got black people telling you to go back to Africa, go climb a tree, you monkey, you learn quickly that that is actually a byproduct of the conditioning. You learn that oppressed people oppress people, yeah. right? Yeah. And so because, they, because we were in the South, in black communities particularly, mm -hmm. uh, we, we were living in a fairly insulated communities. And so our venturing outside of those communities could cost you your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, as a result of that, your world becomes a lot smaller. The mm -hmm. things that you're exposed to are, you know, it's a lot smaller. And so when you experience diversity within those communities, you sometimes interpret it as a threat. You don't know how to engage it. And you learn that so quickly, you know, when you're subjected to that consistently that, you know, as you get older and you encounter that in, 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 in other aspects of life, in your, in your career and whatnot, you already know where it's coming from. So it's not that I'm making an excuse for it and saying it's okay. I'm just saying that I understand now that at the time it was just an absence of awareness, but also with conditioning because that systemic racism also exists heavily in Hollywood. You know, just oh, imagine, yeah. Lauren, yeah. Lauren, imagine me, my job, 
is to write your story mm-hmm. every single day and yeah. then broadcast that story to the world daily, weekly, by week, you know, by yeah. month, you know, every two weeks maybe, you know, and then every time you step out of your door and you don't reflect the image that I've written and broadcast for you, you're interpreted as weird or off or better yet, maybe yeah. I depict you. What if I depict you as a Karen or something? And so now you're villainized and everybody's yeah. mad at you every time you step out your door. That's what it's like being black in America. That, and, and I guess I'm, I, I'm receptive to everything. You know what I mean? I think I've, I was born in a generation where I am open to, to hearing things and, and I, I admit when I'm wrong. And I think there's a lot to be said about that because like my parents' generation, they're not really willing to admit that they're, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So I, I'm gonna keep it 100. Yeah. I don't know your ethnicity. Can yeah. you just, what is your ethnicity? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm Lebanese and Italian and okay. yeah. So it's like just, and then like on my mom's side, like a mix that I don't even really know, but yeah. Cause I, I, I mean, I'm not being sarcastic. I wasn't sure. I swear to God, I wasn't sure, you know, because I'm Trinidadian. Yeah. So you have to understand that I grew up around people of African descent that yeah. look like you. Yeah, yeah, okay? totally. I, I want to make yeah, you know, I want to make it clear that yeah. you know I've done my DNA thing and I've met people that look like you yeah. that are more African, you know, genetically than right. me. All right, so right. there you I, go. You yeah. know, yeah, you don't know. You're right. You totally yeah, don't you, know. And, and yeah, and, and so you know, my family, my, my lady is 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 Puerto Rican and 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 Saint Lucian, oh, and wow. you know. Uh, people don't know what the hell she is either. And so, you know, it's so funny. I sent a picture of her father to my brother and my brother thought it was our father. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? (laughs) And our father raised us. (laughs) But but the hodgepodge of Trinidadian culture, we have a huge Chinese population. We have a huge uh, East Indian, like by way of uh, 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 Bangladesh. We have a huge Dutch population. We have a huge uh, Spanish population, French population. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Venezuelans, right? Because yeah. of everything. We have uh, a huge Venezuelan population. We have Lebanese there. It's, yeah. it's, it's the most, we don't have a national dish because we just piss somebody off. <laughs> so, so what am I? Just, well, I'm just chopped liver now. So yeah. I don't count. Right. <laughs> That's so funny. I actually, I get like, cause I, I live in New York. I get Jewish a lot because every girl with dark hair or blonde hair, what am I saying is Jewish, but nope. No. Um, but the Lebanese I, makes a lot of sense. And I, anyway, I want to go back to what you were saying is the fact yeah. that you are of a generation where you're actually open to hearing and yeah. being wrong. It's like, but I also think that I want to add to that, that I think that it might have a little bit to do with you being involved in media and is. And Say so, it one more time. No, you cut out. You cut out. Say that again. I also think that it has something to do with you being involved in media yeah. and understanding the indoctrination that media can lead to. Okay. So what? Yeah. So what? That you know what that means is that a lot of us are sitting out and looking at screens and vegging out and subconsciously being programmed into societal norms that aren't really to, that aren't really beneficial to us. Yeah. Right. And so right. when you're in when you're involved in media, you have a tendency to know that you have to watch with a certain level of awareness. You have to guard, safeguard your children from certain programmings because it will, you know, create impressions that don't necessarily benefit their, the trajectory of their lives. And so that could be part of it too, but definitely kudos to you for being someone who's willing to, to learn. Oh, and you don't even have to give me kudos. Cause I just feel like it's like, it's your, it's your duty as a human being on this earth to be, you know what I mean? To be yeah. just, a sponge and willing to learn and admit when you're wrong. And, and I think that's what, that's a big problem right now is that half the country, or maybe it's just the boomers that I'm thinking of specifically and some millennials, sure, but they just can't admit that they're wrong and they can't, they can't admit that, you know, just wear a mask. It's not about you. It's just about somebody else. You're, you're right. You're probably going to be fine, but somebody else might not be. So right, well, yeah, well, the irony, agree. And the irony in that is, is that these are the same people that feel uncomfortable with a young man walking into a store with a hoodie on. Yes, exactly. So, so I'm like, wait exactly. a minute. So we have to abide to a dress code for your, yes. for your comfort, but you are not willing to simply wear a mask for it is hours. so true. There are so many things we could say about this. And I'm also, I'm working on a, 
another podcast, but we're looking at these like true crime stories. And, you know, there is, there is a runner a few years ago and she was murdered by a man of color or so they think. But the reason that they even found this guy as a suspect is because he was a man of color walking around in dark, heavy clothing in the summer. That's why. That's literally the only reason why. So it's like, it's just, it's incredibly sad and it's incredibly tragic that, that this type of stuff still happens in, you know, in the 20th century. I mean, right. where it's not, we're not, President Lincoln is not, you know, in office right now. I just, I don't understand. But No, I, I'm definitely comfortable. I'm rolling around in it and really taking advantage of it because this this character, Tijuana Jackson, Purpose Over Prison, has been talking about this since 1999. Yeah. Online since maybe 2011, 2012, going haywire about it. You know, we, yeah. I, you know, every time I hear someone complain about their civil, the their civil liberties being taken, I just use Tijuana Jackson's "Welcome to Black America" every <laughs> single time. And so it's like, yeah, I'm it's so unfortunate, but it. I, I promise you, Regina Hall is going to be she's going to set a record for memes because yeah. of what, what, what Regina says in this movie, what these characters say in this movie, there are going to be so many quotes, so yeah. many memes. Tammy Roman is uncomfortably real. Yeah. I didn't even know. I, was, I didn't know. I, I used to, I follow Bonnet Chronicles, which is the character okay. uh, that Tammy Roman plays. And I, honest to God, didn't know that Bonnet Chronicles was Tammy Roman. I, I, if I hadn't known Tammy Roman, I'd have never made that much fun of basketball wives. Every other line, TJ's making fun of basketball wives. Yeah. Had I known yeah. her, I might have, I might have chilled on that. My, <laughs> you know, and you know, all of this to say that, like, yo, for real, for real, for real, for real, Tammy yeah. Roman hiring her was such a slick move because people don't really understand how much acting actually goes into uh, reality TV. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Before they didn't, I think now with like the housewives bullshit and all that stuff, I think I think they sort of get it now. But yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, I wanted to ask you how, because I love Regina Hall. I've been like a huge fan of her since like Scary Movie. How did you land on casting her for this? Well, I, I, I've written about 60 screenplays. Mm -hmm. uh, 56 of them were a complete waste of time. Okay. But there are four that I'm very proud of. And in each one of them, I've always written Regina Hall as the female lead. Oh, wow. But like, why? What, what was the reason? She's one of the rare instances where you have an actor or an actress mm -hmm. who has uh, come from D.C., grown up with brothers, a very witty, sarcastic mom, you know, yeah. uh, who has, uh, you know, gone on to do amazing things, Travel the world, developed an understanding and an empathy of the world that you know that you know that's very rare, uh, and been able to rather than assimilate to it, assimilate yeah. you know you know incorporate it into who she already is. So her strong sense of self awareness and this this world worldly empathy for all forms of life, yeah, makes her this special, very, very special light. Uh, Does that make her a better actress because of what I believe, I believe it makes her a, a more relatable human being. Okay. Right? Yeah. I feel like, a, if you think about it, every single person in the world has a crush on Regina Hall. Yeah. <laughs> there's a reason for that. Yeah. There's a likability, there's a glow, there's a shine, there's an empathy, there's a humanity about her that's rare. I and so. Totally agree with that, 100%. You watch her in a film, you like her, and you relate to her. That's so true. And she's very funny. She's great comedic timing in just about everything. Oh, oh that, that's the other yeah. thing, is that yeah. the, 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 the style of comedy in this film, it's not these big over-the-top studio laughs. Yeah. They're, they're laughs in a very different way that are very specific to a community. Mm -hmm. The conversations we're having, even in the trailers, are so cryptic because we're using so much slang. Yeah. Like, what the hell are they talking about? Well, you needed someone who could authentically depict that. And I couldn't think of anyone who had the range of understanding the street mentality in the way that Regina does, but also understanding the universal message uh, that this, this movie has and being able to incorporate the two seamlessly. And yeah. Regina Hall was the go-to from Jump. 
And mm -hmm. so we had, uh, I've always been talking, I've been talking about this movie for years. We, we had the same representation at the time, management. And, um, and, and so we initiated it. I sent her the script, she read the script. And she was like, what's wrong? She called me and was like, what's wrong with you, Romani? No, seriously, what, like this is in, just came out of your head. I was like, yeah. She goes, what's wrong with you? Seriously. She's like, I love it, but what's wrong with you, baby? You okay? You okay, baby? And I was like, I know, I know it's crazy. She goes, you damn right it's crazy, but I want to play this shit. I want to play this shit. Give my character some more slang. My character need more slang. I want My character should have just as much slang as TJ. Oh my gosh. Which was a perfect note because the whole point of this is to show that they were two peas in a pod who yeah. ended up on different sides of the law. Yes, exactly. I, that's the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. That's like a true friend. Like, this is so good, but what's wrong with you that came out of your head? <laughs> yes. like, are you okay? Do I need to call someone to, to go over there and check on you? <laughs> Which is always Regina's first step is always, how are you doing? It's always, that's no so matter what. Nice. That's yeah. so nice. And, and this, so working with her, and this was your first um, directorial debut for a feature, right? Yeah, so how, how was that? I mean, was it overwhelming to be in it, you know, to have all these duties and then and then have to direct it? And or, I mean, I'm sure it was a pleasure, but. Yeah, no, I know, I was very resistant to all of it because I'm used to working on studio projects. And to be honest with you, a lot of times the people on studio projects are there to make a paycheck. Yeah. And, and but with my project, when my producers insisted that I directed it, um, uh, what was beautiful about it was 40% of the people on set were volunteers, friends, family, people who contributed to the campaign and just wanted to be there to help move boxes, set up, whatever. Yeah. And so I was surrounded by support. This is a crew that I've been putting together for over 20 years. I worked with this person on weeds. I worked with, you know, I worked with these people. We, and we had people, of, there were so many different languages being spoken on our set. Yeah. There was so many different classes of people on our set. We had brothers who literally just got been just served 10 years, just served 11 yeah. months, you know, on wow. set. Okay. We had, you know, as we had or as helping, like were they extras or like helping out? Okay. Helping out. All right. Or, or, or had contributed to the crowdfunding campaign. My boy, I call his name is Mike. We call him Mike Boogie, but a uh, 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 white dude from up north, you know, the Bay Area. Yeah. Who in and out, who's, had been had some time in and out, you know, and was uh, was out, and he had contributed to the campaign. He came down. We threw him a surprise birthday party on set. We got it on film. Um, so cute. That's oh, so nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I I call him Lone Wolf to this day. Dude cracks me up because he yeah. his his job was to be my assistant on the set. You never knew he was there, but he was always there. Wait. So he uh, actually was he your assistant for real? He actually. Yeah. It, it was a perk on the crowdfunding campaign to be my assistant. He oh. paid to be the, right? So he contributed and he showed up and everybody was scared at him, scared of him. So I had to stop and introduce him as my assistant. And then I was like, oh man, we didn't know where he came from. <laughs> That's so yeah, funny. So that, I feel like that is so like you to do something <laughs> like that. I'm also thinking about how you are so you were so down to earth that you were having your fans help with the marketing of this movie, oh, yeah. which is yeah. so, it's so great to get everybody involved. And that's a great way just to get the hype up, right? It's the spirit of the game. You know, look, there were like almost about 2000 people who contributed to my crowdfunding campaign. Since then, some of them have launched crowdfunding campaigns or started things or fundraisers or started businesses that I've put money into. You know, wow. it's the spirit of the game. It's like we created this community and like the goal is to keep that going. And so there are a lot of people who identify with the fact that I have been pretty much for the most part been of service um, yeah. from day one. Mm -hmm. And and because of that, it's easy for them to be like, yo, we want to help out. Yo, how can I help out? Yeah. And having and having your fans and your supporters do that for you, it's sometimes they will communicate uh, 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 an enthusiasm mm -hmm. that seems a lot more authentic because it's not coming from me or not coming through media. I totally agree. I totally agree. That's a really great way to look at it too. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, that's, I, I, that's, that's really smart. Um, I think 
you. a lot more people or studios to get involved in that. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know why it hasn't caught on yet, but. Well, I'll tell you what I've learned through independent film is that one area where independent film is definitely lacking is that, you know, yeah, you may be able to get a distribution team behind your project, but marketing and independent film is fairly pedestrian. They right. haven't really figured it out yet. Independent film really suffers from that. And so what I do is I kind of borrow from one. I had an internet business, my first internet business in 96. Mm -hmm. And I've been studying like online marketing and stuff like that. I follow some of these YouTube gurus and podcast gurus. You know, I, I, I listen to some of it. All courses aren't created equal, but I found some good ones I can recommend if you need. Yeah. And um, I borrow from those people. And I listen to all the independent film podcasts too, you know, whether I'm listening to uh, uh, Film Courage or, or Indie Film Hustle or Indie Wire. And I get all those stories too, but I have kind of found that, you know, the area that we lack the most, that, that, that independent film lacks the most in is the area of marketing. So you're constantly, we all are, but in independent yeah. film especially, you're constantly inventing the way, right? So. Whether, so let's say you make a film on autism, and you know, there are all these, all of these 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 uh, uh, entities throughout the world that would take an interest in that. It's knowing how to reach them and make your film available to them and to their audiences and utilize their platform to you know to to, to heighten awareness. We've got to get keen on how to do that stuff, and it happens. There are some the, the successful films figure out are the ones that have figured out how to do that. And so yeah. for me, one of the things that was for me was I never cared about necessarily being in Sundance or 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 Tribeca. My concern was really being in the areas, having my film shown in the areas where people had contributed money to the campaign, and that meant Florida, right? Yeah, you know that that meant Nashville, yeah. that meant Brooklyn, New York, and that's where the, those are the festivals that we submitted to. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it's funny. And as, as um, somebody who covers a lot of films, I always cover independent films because those are the most fun. Studio yeah. films are not as fun to cover because everybody covers them. But somebody had said once to me about my podcast or on a review, they were like, we like listening to it because we hear about films that are right there on our TV that we might not have heard of. And I just said this last week because there are so many independent films coming out this summer that everybody should watch, but no one knows about. Nobody so, knows about. Yeah, it's like, and I want to bring awareness. We, we need more of you. And I think personally, you know, as you can see, independent film has gotten a considerable boost during quarantine. We need more of yeah. you. You know, one thing I've noticed with, with, with art, right, is that no matter what's happening, uh, in the world, no matter what the yeah. economic downturn we might be facing, entertainment seems to get a boost from it, right? People seek escape. And so what I have found, or what I'm beginning to believe is that um, it's not just that it gets a boost, but the taste in the type of content that people want changes as well. And we are coming into an area where people want something that's a bit more raw, a yeah. bit more authentic, mm -hmm. but still, you know, affords them some level of escapism. Yes, and we want so, to be entertained, you're right, yes. Yeah, exactly. we still want to be entertained. And I feel like independent film is definitely leading the charge in that way, where also now, and me and Kevin Hart, we're just on the phone talking about this, mm -hmm. insurance companies are going to be a bit more, you know, hesitant to insure a huge production. Oh, I, uh, out of the fear of, yo, I caught the COVID-19, or my dad caught COVID-19 and died, and I'm suing you, yeah. you know, so, in order to meet all these markers and make sure that you that they're your huge crews are safe, it's going to take these bigger entities much longer to put out product. Totally. And independent film is going to fill that gap. Yeah. And, and you know what? Independent film also like yes to that, but there's also so much heart behind it, and somebody is doing it because they love it and they feel strongly about it. And and where you said before the studio, it's like a lot of people are there for the paycheck, so yeah, yeah, they sometimes. don't even really know, you know what I mean. They walk up set and they forget about the movie instantly. And I'm sure as an actor, you know, you've all been there where you're like, oh sh shit, this is really great. I'm obviously I'm gonna do it, you know, because I'd be crazy not to. But it's so nice that you have projects like this. That yeah, just I agree. so much. So I think that you you struck the perfect balance, Romani. You really have. Thank you. Yeah, you really have. You struck the perfect balance. So really, congratulations. <laughs> and I just I want to tell you that that's been the pursuit. My my one pursuit my entire life is to like. And I'm not I'm not saying that I actually have that balance really, but I do my best to make sure I learned what peace of mind was 
when I was about 33, 34 years old. Mm. And I really started honoring peace of mind by the time I was 38. And what that basically means is that every single decision is based around whether or not it's going to compromise my peace of mind. And so we all, we have a whole team just to research the people involved in projects that I could potentially be in. And if we wow. find out that the reputation of the people involved in those projects are, you know, don't honor the vibe that I'm aspiring to in a work environment, we just don't wow. do the job. We just don't do the job. And so, yeah, it might, I might miss out on a paycheck, but peace of mind, you can't put a price on that. Right. No, that's, that's so true. And do you have any info of when you can start filming A Million Little Things? Yeah, we start August, August 15th oh. is when we're supposed to start. We're, okay. I'm, gonna, I'm heading back there in seven days and we're going to be in quarantine for 14 by law. Like if we leave our house, we get a $750 fine and arrested for six months. Oh my so, God. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So you're going to head there early quarantine and then you guys start filming. And then we start filming. Oh, yep. that's so great. I love hearing that. Like it makes me feel normal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. But, okay. I'm glad you feel normal. Yeah. But <laughs> filming is anything but normal. We're going to be in cubicles. It's very be limited. so weird. You have to tell me about it. It's going to be so weird. Skeleton crew. It almost reminds mm -hmm. me of like whenever like you were watching the X-Files back in the day and they wow. find these things with these pods and oh my gosh. different life forms. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like we're becoming that. Oh my gosh. So when, this is also really random, but when's the last time you talked to or saw Steve Carell? Because I have um, to ask you that. I just, I'm dying to know. I don't know. I don't know. I think <laughs> okay. it's been a long, but it's been a long time. Okay. And, um, you know, I would say that the people, the person that I talked to the most after doing that film was Judd Apatow. I would just keep yeah. consulting with Judd Apatow. He's one of the people who helped me, you know, decide how I was going to be in this industry. Because after 40 Old Virgin, everybody wanted to work with me. And I want you to be the star of this, the star of this. But he would always say, okay, well, let me tell you something about this producer. This producer is, is a factory. He's just putting out, you know, terrible films, uh, 20 terrible films a year. He's not doing the work. Oh, this producer doesn't like to do the work. They don't really want to craft the story, right? What they're doing is they're just, they just want to put something out that they can market and make a profit from. And so he was like, I'm telling you to be selective because if not, you're going to end up back in a rat race. And what he meant was I'd end up having to audition again and so forth and so on. And yeah. so uh, uh, that advice along with what peace of mind meant to me and mm -hmm. how I want to keep my peace and also just being black in Hollywood and feeling like I have a responsibility. I yeah. just always kind of chose jobs that I felt like where the messaging helped rather than hurt. Right, right. That's so, yeah. that's so amazing that you, that you have someone like that and that you met him on set and you could carry that friendship. Now, the last thing I just want, when's the last time you talked to Mary Louise Parker? Because I, that was what I was obsessed. Like I watched that show, like all, like literally every season, like twice. It was the there, best show ever, ever. Like there's, there's only one Mary Louise Parker. That's she is. Uh, but it's been a while. We we used yeah. to talk. You know, we used to oh, talk. She's got a. I see even keep in touch with her babysitter. You know, her yeah. nanny, like because her her nanny was Trinidadian, and we had to connect. I've oh. sat down. I spent the whole day in Santa Barbara just kicking it with her sister, like talking. Yeah. Eating, you guys eating. have the best chemistry on screen. Oh my gosh. Like that yeah. relationship was just so yeah. incredible. I think about it and, and everyone I know actually watched that show and, and thinks about it and just loved the dynamic with you guys. You were like, you know what I mean? You were, you were the good, the bad guy turned good. It was just so perfect. I just can't. I know. I feel like you're getting nostalgic right now. Like you're just thinking no. about it and you're like. No, yeah. I think because she's like someone that I really, yeah. it was weird. I really, really loved Mary Louise. Still do. I really, yeah. Mary Louise Parker, uh, I believe is like heavily misunderstood and had mm -hmm. been through quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And, and she was in incredibly talented. I called her my sensei. I'd be like, you kick my ass, but I'm going to thank you before I leave. I'm going to always thank you before I leave the dojo yeah. because she she had something she had a gift it's one of the reasons i hung out with her freaking sister all the time is yeah. because like they you know they different people but cut from a similar cloth and good good right. folks you know right. um and like i take pride in understanding uh the misunderstood and with that being said mm. um that's how this movie tijuana jackson actually came about is that growing up in the community i had friends who would have brothers or sisters or family members who would get out of prison yeah. And then it's not just the system that would ostracize them, but their friends and family and community would too. And I never had the heart to do it. 
So I would, and this is going to come right back to 40-year-old virgin and all of that. Yeah. So I would always be the dude that would be like, Hank, pick them up from, they ain't got no car, driving them somewhere, going on double dates I ain't had no business being on, holding something for them that I ain't had no business holding, <laughs> driving them to neighborhoods and I ain't had no business being in, you know? And yeah. that's kind of where I developed this understanding and this empathy and also seeing the humor, you know, in that existence, but also understanding systemically how they were really set up to fail. And um, even when 40, in 40 Old Virgin, I don't know if you know, but there's an Indian guy named Shelly Malil. Oh, that's Malil. the saddest shit ever. Oh, oh my, my God. gosh. Yeah. That is, that's so fucked up. Yeah. It, it's so messed up. You know, he snapped yeah. and I would still go see him in jail. You I do? Go, I, I used to. I would go see oh, him in, in oh, San Diego was, Detention oh my Center. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. You know, wouldn't nobody in Hollywood gonna go check on that dude? So I would go, I would go wow. see him in, in his detention center in Kelly San Diego. Killed, he killed his wife, right? No, no he, didn't, he didn't kill her. He, okay. he stabbed his girlfriend. Stabbed his girlfriend, but she did not die. No, she didn't die. Okay, good. Okay. And, yeah, and yeah. so you know, I um, and it seemed premeditated too. And so yeah, I know, I, I know. Yeah, I um, I just had to. I checked on him. I wrote. We wrote letters all the time. You know, he, be, he became very religious while he was inside the joint. But it was like, I just, I just find it hard to like, not, I just find it hard to cut pe people off. Yeah. And well, may, I mean, may, maybe to my downfall. On set, I'm sure you guys had like almost every scene together. So you probably- No, not Jerry Bednob. That, no, Shelly Malia. That's what I mean. Yeah. The tall one. Yeah. The tall yeah. guy. Yeah. Where, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking He's the one that stabbed his girlfriend. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, God. Jerry Bednob's about to be 80 years old or something yeah, like that. No, no, let me not say that. Let me not say that. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, you, uh, I'll uh, edit it. Yeah, we don't know. It's fine. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All good. All good. But um, no, this is this has been so much fun. This like made my month, like honestly. So I'm I'm so excited to see the movie. I'm so excited for people to see it. Um, and I just I love your passion. Thank it. you very much. Thank you very much. I, I am very passionate about it. Uh, um, I, I feel as though uh, it, it's a good time for independent film. I feel grateful for platforms like yours that actually help to both, you know, to uh, heighten awareness around these independent films. But also, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think there's, look, I'm not saying it's the most arrogant way, but I just don't think that there's anybody out there writing and directing films in the way that I wrote and directed this one. Mm -hmm. I think that this, I think that the voice of this really speaks to people who come from poor communities. I think it speaks to the to disenfranchised communities in a way that films just don't. And I think it's because usually uh, you're so affected by it that you you can't you can't depict it objectively. Yeah. Right. Or or you're you're so removed from it that your that your depiction isn't quite authentic. Yeah. And I think partly because of my heritage and my culture I've just always kind of stayed connected. So good point. Really yeah. good point, actually. Um, no, that's that <laughs> that makes me more excited to see it. So I hey guys, so that was my catch up with the delightful Romany Malco. So don't forget to rent or buy Tijuana Jackson this Friday, July 31st. And follow him on Instagram at Romany Malco. He is just very active and very entertaining. Um, so thanks for listening and don't forget to rate and subscribe and download these episodes on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Red Carpet Rendezvous. Until next time. Until next time.